Hey, everybody. So for the last year, Pack Dawson, as we call our family and our puppers, have been focusing on gratitude. So we start every single morning with what we're grateful for. And we do that on the way to school. And I thought that would be a fantastic activity to carry over to First Bite. So I wanted to say that I am grateful for the reviews that y'all leave on the podcast. And so I'm going to share one that just made me chuckle. So from Nature 10910, she quoted us as fun, functional, and fabulous. She said she found this podcast a year ago and she hasn't stopped listening. I've been able to apply learning to my kiddos. Recommend episodes to coworkers specific to topics we're brainstorming and have earned continuing education credit. Keep it up, ladies. Love the show. So to Nature10910, thank you for sharing what you're grateful for about First Bite. We're going to do this every week. We're going to share our gratitude. So thank you for the review and keep them coming, folks. Keep them coming. Hi, folks, and welcome to First Bite, Fed, Fun, and Functional, a speech therapy podcast sponsored by SpeechTherapyPD.com. I am your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MS, CCC, SLP, CLC, the All Things Peds SLP. I am a colleague in the trenches of home health early intervention right there with you. I run my own private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, here in Town, South Carolina, and I guest lecture nationwide on best practices for early intervention for the medically complex and fragile child. First Bite's mission is short and sweet, to bring light, hope, knowledge, and joy to the pediatric clinician, parent, or advocate by way of a nerdy conversation, so there's plenty of laughter too. In this podcast, we cover everything from AAC to breastfeeding, ethics on how to run a private practice, pediatric dysphagia to clinical supervision, and all other topics in the world of pediatric speech pathology. Our goal is to bring evidence-based practice straight to you by interviewing subject matter experts to break down the communication barriers so that we can access the knowledge of their fields. Or, as a close friend says, to build the bridge. By bringing other professionals and experts in our field together, we hope to spark advocacy joy and passion for continuing to grow and advance care for our little ones. Every fourth episode, I join in. I'm Erin Forward, MSP, CCC, SLP, the Yankee by way of Rochester, New York transplant who actually inspired this journey. I bring a different perspective, that of a newish clinician with experience in early intervention, pediatric acute care, and nonprofit pediatric outpatient settings. So sit back, relax, and watch out for all our squirrels and enjoy this geeky gig brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Hey, everybody. We are coming down the pipeline here on 2022. So if my calendar is correct, we are a couple of days before Hanukkah starts and about two weeks before Christmas. So I am hoping that 
may your Asha dues have been paid in advance of all of the holiday expenditures. <laughs> and there's my thought on that. But y'all, we have an amazing, phenomenal guest that I am hoping will bring your winter season a fair bit of joy and a little bit of sass. I have none other than Mr. Clay, Clay Haddon behind the Mr. Clay uh, YouTube channel. And you can also find him on the land of the Instagram. And Honest to God, I didn't have a freaking clue that bless his heart that he lived in South Carolina and much less like right on the way to Charleston. And he popped into, what is it called? Popping in the DM, the down, down. Yeah, I'm 40. So I don't know what I did. Yeah. I I tell people, I sent her an email and people are like, (laughs) you you did not send her an email. That's because they know I never answer my emails. Also, if you email me, give me two months grace period and I'll get back to you. But like... (laughs) There it was. It showed up in the message and we got to talking and here we are. And two nerdy, passionate SLPs who have zero time for fluff and want genuine impact in our world and empowering our patients and our caregivers. So Clay, hi. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's so funny to be referred to as Mr. Clay. Like I still don't even after two years of doing that, it's still so strange. I have a friend in town whose kids watch the channel and they think it's like super cool that like I'm Mr. Clay and their families know Mr. Clay. And my wife and I joke and we were like, you know, if they only knew that like two months ago we had a giant hole in our kitchen that we had to get repaired because of a subfloor rot, they would not see us as, as glamorous as we are. Yeah. No, I I mean, we've remodeled our kitchen twice. And the second time was because my oldest flooded our bedroom or our bathroom. (laughs) Bless, bless his heart. He's learned that construction is expensive. (laughs) So like, yeah, yeah. Life life happens. So thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yes. Okay. So I always like for the guests when they come on to tell us like, what made you become a speech pathologist? And then what made you segue into this world of AAC? Sure. So I'll give as much of my journey as I can fit in, right? So I was pre-med at a university called Winthrop University up in Rock Hill, South Carolina. One day I kind of realized like, oh my gosh, like I don't want to have the lifestyle of a doctor. Like I don't know that I want to be on call. I don't know that I want to be away from my family and all this kind of stuff. So uh, I went for one whole semester as an undeclared student and it freaked my family out. They were very upset because <laughs> they, they, they thought they were making this doctor and then they realized that he doesn't know what he wants to do. So I took a bunch of classes and at Winthrop, there was actually an undergrad in speech therapy. I took one of those classes. I'm like, oh, I think I could, I think I could like this, right? This is something that I think I could do. So I did that. Then I applied for UNC Chapel Hill and their master's program. And then I, I was lucky enough to get in, graduated, and I never wanted to work with pediatrics. All of my supervisors and stuff were like, you're going to work with kids. And I'm like, I'm not. I come from a family of teachers. Um, everybody in my family, except for my father, was a teacher. And so I just didn't see myself, A, working in a school. And that's what I thought it meant to work with pediatrics was like, you're going to be in a school. And then B, just working with kids all the time. And if you see where I'm at now, you're going to be like, really? But yeah, I, I never I never thought of myself as that person. So fast forward to my first job. I'm there for about a month and a half, two months. 
the the wonderful therapist who was working with all of the kiddos on the spectrum that we had at University Hospital left. And they were like, hey, new guy, here you go. Here's your caseload. And I was originally hired to do like a little bit of outpatient, a little bit of inpatient, right? And then anyway, so they gave me all these clients. And again, my boss had foresight that I didn't have. She's like, I hired you knowing that you were going to work with kids. You just didn't know it yet. And which was, it's very funny to to kind of look back on that now. But so I started working with, with those kiddos. You know, that was before we had a ton of access to communication devices like we do now. So I was still doing pecs, which I have different feelings about now, but I was, you know, I was doing all of those things that we were taught to do. I was at a point in my life where I wanted to change. So I applied for a job at the Medical University of South Carolina. I got the job there working with the same, and the idea was that I was going to work with the same population. I did that for, I think about eight years. So almost half of my career is in SLP. And then I decided to like, we, well, I didn't decide. We got married, had kids. And I was like, okay, we need. Budget decided. Yeah, budget decided. I'm like, we need to figure some things out. And so I started my own clinic. It was really going well. I had employees and stuff. And then I don't know if you've heard of this little thing called COVID-19. <laughs> you remember that? Uh, so. Yeah. So that kind of yeah. that kind of brought the it's so funny I was getting ready to we were getting ready to look at a clinic space in Somerville me and an occupational therapist friend of mine and that Friday we were like you know what let's hold off let's just hold off another week or two and see what happens with this covid thing like well, you know who knows what's going to happen it'll be fine and that was that was like that March 13th that everybody remembers right it's my fault I take full credit because it was a Friday the 13th. It was my birthdays on March 10th. And that Friday the 13th, my husband took me to the ballet. He hates the ballet. And as we were sitting in the ballet, he's got an old army injury and his disc (laughs) slipped. And he had to basically crawl out of the ballet because he couldn't walk. And I was like, I was like, man, we like jinxed all the things. And then like that weekend, the world shut down and he's like, this is why I should never have gone Gone to to the the ballet. ballet. Well, I'm going to remember that. I'm going to remember that. (laughs) So yeah, so everything kind of just ground to a halt. And then I had some amazing therapists, but they ended up having to leave for their own personal reasons because it was what it was at that time. So during that time, and I've been working with augmented communication during all of this time. So I've always been an early adopter of technology. And so when iPads started coming out, I was like, hey, boss, can we get an iPad for the clinic? And then Proloquo came out and I was like, hey, boss, can we put Proloquo? And that was like the big thing. I mean, I, I remember what a huge deal that was, right? And so during the pandemic, I started recording lessons for the kids that I work with. And I was like kind of sending them to them privately. It wasn't anything like super fancy. I didn't really put a lot of time and effort into it. They said, hey, you should just put this on YouTube. I was like, okay. And then someone was like, hey, you should start telling people about this. Okay. And then it's kind of become this piece of the business. It's not huge. I don't, I think people who are, who listen to this and like, are like, oh, I want to try YouTube. You need to know, like I'm, I'm almost at about 8,000 followers. It takes a lot of work to get there unless, depending on your niche, like my niche, it just takes a little bit more work to get there, but also 8,000 followers comes out to be about $30 a month. So don't quit your day job. 
right? Like don't, like I, I think it's really important to be realistic about all of this, but that's still part of the business. And I, I hope that it continues to be. And then I can, I mean, if you want me to tell you what I was telling you before we got on air, my ultimate hope with this is that we are able to run a clinic that is subsidized by content creation. So what I mean by that is YouTube, Instagram, picture books, teacher pay teacher, doing some guest speaking things. I'm writing some articles for some other publications and stuff like that, all with the intent of being able to help our families who are in the coverage gap or who need more therapy that insurance won't cover, but they don't have the finances to cover. Like that's the, that's the ultimate dream with all of this. So I think we're going to get there, but you never know. Yeah, no. Okay. So we were talking beforehand and Clay mentioned, you know, when you, you know, when you hit that sweet spot with a patient and they've got their device and they're, world is just like rapid fire expanding. And it's like every day there's just like this insatiable absorption of vocabulary and language and like utilization of it for more than just requests, but for like commentary and question asking. And you hit that sweet spot and you're like, wow, patient A, little Billy Bob needs an increase in services. And he was talking about the frustration when Insurance doesn't cover that. Nope. And, yeah. and it's it's kind of one of the unspoken, if you're in the world that we're in, if you're a family member, if you're a parent, if you are a person with disabilities, if you are a provider, then you are very aware of the limitations of insurance, right? And, and the unspoken rule that even Medicaid has to make a profit, even, you know, all these insurances, they do. And that's, and that's the reality of the world that we live in. Historically, I think people are going to look back one day and they're, they're going to judge cultures on the way that we treated the most vulnerable and the most in need in our society. And I think that one of those groups are the groups that we work with. And I'm not trying to paint myself to be a saint or anything like that. I just don't think that people understand or know if you're not in this world, that was my point. If you're not in this world, if you don't breathe it, then you don't know. Well, like my parents have a child, I mean, who's a speech therapist, right? Like I am a speech therapist. When I tell them, hey, dad, I've, you know, this person with a wheelchair, their wheelchair broke, they've got to repair it on their own and they can't get another wheelchair for another three years because you can only get a new chair every five years or whatever the insurance improves of, right? Like people don't know that and people are very surprised. And when I say, oh yeah, did you know that insurance can kind of dictate our plan of care? It's something that is... I think defeating to the families and they're so exhausted that they don't have the time to be the people that make those changes. So it takes the rest of us to be the people that need to push that and to make those changes. Those of us with the time and, you know, ability to do so. Yes. Okay. So I know I made the quip at the beginning about like, we have our ash to blah, 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 blah. But at the same time, it's the end of the year, the beginning of next year, most state associations dues are up. And Medicaid, why it is federally mandated, there are state-level interpretations and variations. And this is why you have a state association because you join, because ASHA does not pay to have 50 state-level lobbyists. Your state association pays to have a lobbyist registered at the state level to ensure license and ethics. And it is through that entity or entities that you can affect change. So- 
preface today's conversation with, you know, when you're hearing these uncomfortable truths, when we're having the crucial conversations, what is going on in your state and where does it sit there? And if you're unhappy with it, then then carve out the time to make it better. Even if it's simply emailing VP of governmental affairs, Kelly, we love you. You're doing amazing, but there's your opportunity to with one breath, raise awareness. And with the second breath, put your britches on and go like fix it. And that is soapbox number one done for the day. Can I add to that soapbox? Can I add one thing? Like there are, you know, I, again, I, I consider myself the older generation of all this social media content. You're a couple months older than me. We're good. We're good. <laughs> so, uh, so there are so many brilliant, passionate SLPs and OTs and care providers online. If we can, there's your dog. He's so cute. There's dog. Dog, uh, dog tried to eat the mailman. She had to come get her praise that she did a good job <laughs> guarding me from the mailman. If we support each other in these avenues too. Like there, you know, there are teacher pay teacher SLPs who have in a year made more on teacher pay teacher than they do in the classroom. First of all, that's that's preposterous, but also the model of supporting SLPs and private practice specifically, just because that's where I'm at is in in supporting them and, and their other endeavors, like for me, Mr. Clay and subscribing or watching or whatever it is, if we can support each other in those ways and help those ways become streams of income for each other, then we are going to be also able to affect change. I mean, in a couple ways, a, we won't have to, we'll be able to subsidize our, our work, but also if these insurance companies really start to get wind of, Oh, this company in South Carolina doesn't need us. What is, like what's going on down there? And then we are forcing ourselves into conversations too. So that's another thing that I would say is like, like one of my favorite groups is PlaySpark, right? They, I love them. We did a shirt with them. Yeah, they are. They're wonderful and they're sweet and they're having all these babies. And so their lives are crazy right now, but like support them, lift them up with money and word of mouth and whatever you've got. When you see an SLP on Teacher Pay Teacher, if even if it's like a dollar, like that, you know, that times 30,000 people, that's your income for a year for some people, your SLP income. So anyway, just that's my soapbox is box is just like support each other. And yeah. No, we're good. That was perfect. Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. So your focus area, because we both agreed beforehand that we hate the word specialty in my world. Because I do PFD first and then AAC second because they're both intricately intertwined in my opinion. But like I do not call myself a specialist and have grave concerns about the ethics of someone calling themselves a specialist if they don't have the BCSS. Because to me, that's that's the earmark, right? So, I mean, for AAC, it's ATP, right? Isn't that the – yeah. So like that – So box number three, check and done, but like, but this is your focus area. So when you go through and you're doing and you're developing content and you're um, treating and you're getting started, 
Can you talk about like, what is the baseline? You start with, you were talking about building bonds. Can you? Sure. Yeah. So from, so, and this is, this is funny because, so I'm actually teaching at MUSC. Uh, I'm teaching the augmentative communication class this year, which has been fun. It's been a learning experience for me too. So we're actually getting into assessments next week and then all the treatment stuff. And I can tell that the the cohort is like super interested in the assessment piece and the instruction of AAC piece. But for me, first thing you've got to do with any client, and it's this doesn't just even apply to AAC for me, is is that bonding piece. I feel like online nowadays you see a lot of people talking about how that's the most important thing that you can do. But I don't think historically that there's been enough emphasis on the clinical significance of building relationships with your clients, especially pediatrics. I think that there's, there's a, I've worked with adults too. There's a little more leeway there because they are in a place where they like know how rehab works or know how the world works. But with these pediatric patients, you have to take the time to bond with them. That also means that you have to take the time to tell the parents we are going to take time to bond. Like I want them to come into the clinic and love being here because if they don't, like the best successful sessions that you have are when the kid like cries when they leave, right? Like that kid wants to be there. They love you. They see you as like just like a big brother or sister or whatever. And they want to be a part of what it is you're doing. That to me is what I'm looking for. Now, of course you can model and introduce some Augcom during the bonding piece. But for me, I tell people, I'm like, listen, we're going to start introducing this stuff, but I'm, I'm not going to force their hand at things. I'm not going to make them uh, communicate with me with their device or push the button or whatever it is. I want them to see me as a person who's going to honor whatever request it is that they make, however they make them. So if it's them wandering over to uh, uh, you know my garbage truck toy and just picking it up and looking at it, I'm going to honor that request. I'm not going to take it from them and then say, oh, can you push the garbage truck button now? Because that to me is a defeating process that's just going to make them look at you as a person who's there to sabotage their life and make an already stressful situation more stressful, right? So I'm 40 in March and you just turned 40. Were we not taught back in the day that sabotage was the successful way to conduct therapy sessions? Because I... Yeah. And you know, I think that there's a naturally occurring sabotage that can... that I, and, and, and maybe this is what happened too. Because like, let's so, so I was doing this with a kid yesterday. Train tracks, right? Wooden train tracks, they're going to break apart. That to me is a naturally occurring sabotage and that maybe if you kind of bump into one with a little bit of intention, sure. But the sabotage where you're like, you're putting a full stop to whatever activity it is just to get press out. Like, to me, that is very problematic. Also, the only human beings that you do that to are kids in therapy. Like my neurotypical three children that I have at home, I, if I walked up to my kids and slapped the video game controller out of their hand and said, now I ask for it, they would look at me like I, and that, I mean, that would be a literally insane thing to do like that. But that's what we were, like, I distinctly remember yeah. sitting in my undergrad AAC class and they were like, and then you remove all the toys from the room. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That kind of stuff. 
like, and I'm like, but won't they be mad? And they're like, well, yeah, but then they have an opportunity to request. Mm -mm. And I'm like, that's to me, the ethical, the ethical underpinnings of that are. But like, I I say this because younger clinicians, you're coming along in an age where DIR floor time is current best practice, but give grace to your supervisors who are like, but that's not what we were taught. And and if they have not pursued ongoing continuing education, because good God almighty, evidence changes and shifts, then they could be stuck in these antiquated methodologies where they are not worried about establishing a bond with the patient, much less caregiver coaching on how to do any of this. They're, we withhold, we withhold, we withhold, we break it, fake it, make it. Uh, I just, yes. so yeah. So that for me, that is the most important piece of all therapy like even my kids with just like articulation delays like I tell the parents I'm like you gotta let me be friends with them first like you gotta let me and not like best friends but you gotta let them trust me for example like with Arctic let's just take that as an example that's different if you tell a kid okay we're gonna do five s words and then after that we're gonna start our game and then you say you know what you're doing a really good job let's do 10 that kid is all he's thinking is Oh, so you're a liar? <laughs> like you're 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 telling me, and and, and again, it's just it, that kind of stuff drives me crazy, and it is counterproductive towards our goals of making these all com users efficient users. Our goal is support, 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 support. I mean, our role is support, 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 support. You know. Anyway, and I have success doing it that way too. I heard someone a long time ago call it the grandma approach where you want these kids to have like, see you. Cause the, 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 the person speaking was like, think about your grandma. If you have a good relationship with her, your grandma let you do whatever you wanted to do or show. So she let you think that she let you do whatever you wanted to do. And then when your grandmother says, Hey, can you come here and take care of me for a weekend? What do you do? You get up and you go. Right. So that's the kind of bond that we're building is one of trust and mutual respect so that then when I put this pressure on you or I try to get you to do something, it's from a person who you trust and you have respect for. Yes. I love how you use the grandma example when I'm, folks, I record in our guest bedroom and it's my grandma's furniture that raised me and like my grandma raised me. And so like, as dogs laid out on the bed behind me, I'm not sure if you can see like her little fluffy butt blending in, but like... This is, yes, the grandma approach. Also, she did, she was impeccable with the clogs. You remember the clogs from the 80s, like that had the wooden sole? I don't know. But like she, if we misbehaved, she would raise her finger and you got one. She could take that shoe off and pelt you from any direction. It no. was like a flying Frisbee no, no, and no, like no. her aim. Yes. Maybe not everybody had the same grandma no, I no, had. No. <laughs> there were no, I, I don't even think my grandma had wooden shoes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's what happens when you're in Wyatt Oak, Virginia. There but you I go. Okay, so talk to us about manding. Okay, so this is another thing that I am kind of a stickler for, and we see this a lot. And I, again, I don't fault people for this because it, it it's something that's an easy thing to default on, especially as a family. But we get we get too caught up on requests. Like that is a stage that we stay at. And there's nothing wrong with that, but we have to actively push ourselves beyond that. And that's one thing that I want all of our therapists like coming up to know. The reason that we, I feel that we fall into manding is because it's easy for us to do 
and it's something that we can do efficiently and quickly, right? Quick data. It's quick. It's quick data, and it's also though it's quick and it's easy for us in terms of instruction, instructing people, right? Like it's so easy for me as a therapist or the parent to go home and say, like, model, I want crackers or I want apple or I want. But if you think about what uh, what conversation is, and again, I've learned I've learned so much from like having three children. Two of my boys have dyslexia, but none of them have like speech impairments, right? If if my kid came up to me and said, I want Apple, right? Even at the age that they were at, I would say, well, this is, this does not feel like a natural conversation, right? Like it's, it's much more along the lines of they go to the cupboard, they open it. And I say, what are you looking for? And they're like, I don't know. Like those are the conversations that we're having in our house. And so while manding is good, and while I think it is essential, and I don't think that we need to get rid of it totally, I think that we need to really have conversations about what and this is what I try to do in my video too is just provide examples. My videos is provide examples of commenting, of just labeling things, of using core words and and more abstract fringe vocabulary, and and, and providing those examples. And also a way to get past the mandate, I think, is to tell parents like the process of learning to communicate with Augcom is kind of slow and a little laborious, right? And there's nothing wrong with you having to look at the device to search for a word that you can't find and it taking a few minutes, like that is to no detriment of the child. And in fact, I think, and I think that we're going to see research that shows this, having someone model something incorrectly or have to figure something out is a huge needed skill for these individuals, right? Just as it is for someone who's verbal. So I may say, uh, I might call one of my kids by the wrong name, right? Like you might, you might call it, call them by your dog's name. Well, then you don't break down and start that whole conversation over. You move forward and explain like what, like it's just this progressive, progressing forward thing, right? Whereas what I see with all calm is that we stop we total do a total repair. We break everything down, and it becomes it becomes almost too much when it was maybe just a mistype, or maybe the symbol looked like the symbol that you're looking for, or maybe they were trying to express a concept that you. I mean, it, you know, there's breakdowns that we need to to work through, and I think that. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say we have semantic paraphrases and phonemic paraphrases as all part of time. normal speech, like all the time. All the time. And I mean, and that's and that's okay. And what I love is when when I see a little one working on their device and I have this one little girl comes to mind, like she watched me go in. I love talk to me technologies and I love control bionics. Those are typically the companies that I partner with, but she watched me go into lamp into level three, because I was trying to figure out like where the permanent word was. Cause we were at the transition level and I was, but I, I wanted to make sure that as I was adding vocabulary, I added it where it would be when we hit that final stage. Right. So she watched me one time enter the code and go back in and baby girl hacked her own device. Those are her mom's words, not mine. Hacked her own device, programmed all of her preferred fringe vocabulary one night when everybody was sleeping. Woke up the next morning and told everybody, I don't want to hear no. I want Dorito nachos now. And that's what mom was like, she got them for breakfast. It was like, but like that was, but her, I don't want to hear no. 
I I was like, this is why we always offer negations. That's one thing that like, yes, watch them watch you communicate on it and be befuddled and be confused because it is in our vulnerabilities that we can shine, that people learn from our cracks, right? But, oh my gosh, I even, just- Even talking about like literacy, right? Like we, there's all, there's a, everybody talks about literacy with regards to augmented communication. It's a huge piece of it. It's so important. But what's more powerful than your kid watching you spell out a word that you have to find to search for within Proloquo to go or lamp or whatever, right? Like I, yeah. I make these kids an active piece of it. And I say, I don't know where that's at. Let's find it. Like, and I, we go through it together and it can be slow. And I think that's part of it too, is that we want this to be a fast sprint of a thing. And it's, I mean, it's a marathon. we're in marathon mode and yes. you know, like it's just, that's the way it is. Yes. Yes. Um, also, when you're talking about calling your children the wrong name, our dog's name are Chewbacca and Dog, and our kids' nicknames are Goose and Bear. So, like, the 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 semantic paraphasias, I just start randomly just rattling off all of the animal names. Eventually, four of them will come. I mean, two are human and two are four-legged, but, like... <laughs> I, I tell people this all the time within the community that we work with and the kids that we are lucky to work with. It, it, it blows my mind that sometimes... It feels like we have higher standards for uh, effective and first press good communication for these people than we do for any other human on the face of the earth. And it, it, it absolutely blows my mind. People miscommunicate every minute of the day. And we don't give that grace to our early language or our, or our AUGCOM users especially historically. I think that I think that now we're starting to kind of realize some of the errors of our ways, but you know, it's just this you know, I, I don't know. It, it 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 blows my mind. Even even if you look at like special education in general, and this is not every teacher, but within some of these communities, like oh like this kid needs to be able to sit for 30 minutes. I'm like does, have you ever seen a kid sit through 30 minutes? Like my, my middle son stands up and eats while he's eating dinner and I don't care. Like sometimes I think the only reason that people care is because there's a label of disability on that child. And it drives me crazy. Like it legitimately uh, hurts my brain. But I feel like that falls back to colonialism and like the inherent the inherent racism of the upper middle class white requirements of this is societal norms. And we have these conversations with our children because Goose was doing something and I don't know. Goose is my oldest. And like he gets excited. He flaps. He spins. Like we're a neurodivergent family, right? And you know, I'm like, all right, he when he was little, if he saw a pretty lady, he would growl. And I made the comment, Bubsies, you cannot growl at the pretty ladies. And my husband leaned in and he was like, but can he? I was like, you stop all the things right now. But, like, but I was like, and Goose was like, why not? I was like, well, this is a societal norm that we adhere to. Women don't want to be growled at. And then I like cut my eyes up. My husband was like, behave, back me up here. Because I don't want him to go to school and be picked on because he thinks a girl is pretty and doesn't know what to do aside from growling. I mean, again, give him until he's married and then he can do otherwise, but he's nine right now. Well, yeah, yeah, technically yeah. he's turned 10, but 
Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, my other example is, and I talk about this with families, like I've, so I've got two boys and a girl. The most frequent, like if you want to talk about the most frequent word that is occurs in our house, it's either poop, pee, or butt. Like one of those, one of those words, and uh, my wife is going to kill me for saying this because it's so off color and societal norms and all that crap, but who cares? Like those are the three words that my kids joke about the most, right? Like, Wait, how old are your kids? Uh, ten, uh, eight, and about to be six. The little girl's about to be six. Yes, and so, ten and eight. And so, and, <laughs> and it's such a normal piece too, because like you're still wiping butts sometimes, or like people have upset stomachs and they might have diarrhea or whatever, like this. And like so, all of that is a very natural piece of our home conversation, right? When we're in the car. Like it, what, you know, that new Harry Styles song, they're going to change the words. So it's about poop. Like it's going to happen. Like my kids are going to do that. Right. And I think lots of kids make those jokes. So why, it, why isn't it that we are allowing like kids with devices or uh, like other, other needs to make these comments without being like, oh my gosh, did you hear little Johnny say like poop and pee. Now, yeah, sure. There's times when you have to teach them when it's appropriate and all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like we put expectations on our kids with neurological neurological differences that are not the same expectations we have for every other kid, especially, and I would agree with this piece of it, if you're like uh, a little white kid. I mean, you know, not to, not to, not to, I am. I know who I am and what I look like, and so I understand that I'm not supposed to be the person that um, does all the lecturing for this particular topic. But you know, no, my 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 cute little blonde, blue eyed kids are gonna get away with a little bit more than some other kids out there, and it's crazy to think about. Like it's crazy, especially within the world of disability. So anyway, that's now, neither here there. Okay, but you hit you hit on a thing when. When I go and I do my evals, I get called in and I'm in home health, right? Like I'm in the patient's homes. So on my initial eval day, I'm doing my eval and I typically get called to work with the least of these. So I'm working with little ones that have had CBAs that are IVHs, HIE, like complex ASD where we're non-speaking and the families are unsure what's going on. These are my people. So my first day is my eval. My second day is typically the IFSP meeting. And then my third day is my RBI interview. And folks, if you're not familiar with the RBI interview, it's the routines-based interview. You can find examples for free on fgrbi.com or.org. It's Family Guide to Routines-Based Interview. And I go through um, and I start from the moment the caregivers open their eyes to the moment they close their eyes at the end of the day. And it's an hour and it's an hour of me asking in-depth questions because you know what? That eval just told me what I need to know in order to appease insurance, right? But that's insufficient to drive my plan of care. But that RBI interview, that interview drives the vocabulary choices, the dictions that we need to select. It drives the this is where that family really is on the Maslow scale. So when I'm engaging in caregiver coaching, I actually understand where we are. I mean, this is, and you know what? Those questions that are offered on the example, it's McWilliams, I think is the author 
Um, I'm sitting literally at my desk. I think it's McWilliams, R.M. McWilliams, dun, 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 R.A. McWilliam. Yep. The questions asked by McWilliam, they're, and they're hard questions. And if you've never had children before, they're not, it's not for the faint of heart to start with. But I swear to you, once you're on the other side and you've actually learned how to ask an adult an open-ended question and engage in active listening, you're going to learn what specific vocabulary they really need so that, you know what, say they say tallywhacker in our family. That's, I mean, that's what we call their penis. So, I mean, there was a period of time when it was boys let go of your tallywhacker. If you hold it long, it will fall off because like, that's what little boys do. But that, if they need that on their device, then that's how you find it. Okay. Okay. So next heated question and this is one this is one of the barriers i get from a lot of families especially from older caregivers like grandparents that are raising children it's the concerns for screen time okay so let's i actually have this pulled up on my computer hold on one second while i get it. so let's this is kind of how i run my 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 grad school class too is like let's look at what everything says and then let's look at what real life is okay yes. so uh, american Association Academy, sorry, American Academy of Pediatrics. They say no screen time for children 18 to 24 months, right? Uh, Until 18 to 24 months, except for video chatting. And kids ages two to five should get an hour or less of screen time a day. Okay. All right. So let's break that down to the COVID period, the pandemic, right? Let's just take that chunk of time when we realized, oh, if you want parents to work and have jobs and be like normal functioning people, then the, then kids are probably going to be exposed to more screens than that. Okay. Now, does that mean I, I don't want any of this to sound like I'm advocating like, Hey, park your kid in front of the screen. I am not doing that. That is not, I, I do not believe that, but I think there's also a reality of that weekend. So there's five of us in our house. My wife is a teacher. I work with kids. I've got three kids. Sometime over the next four weeks, one of us is going to come home with a stomach bug, right? And we're <laughs> so someone in my house is going to be vomiting profusely within the next couple of weeks. That's just mm-hmm. that's just what is going to happen in my life. And we're going to say, "Why? What God have we done to you? <laughs> to, <laughs> what is what is going on?" Anyway, so there are times when you're you're going to need a, the screen. Right. I also yes. think that there are, um, and we've seen this over the the pandemic as well. There are benefits to good screen usage. One of my big things that I talk about online a lot is my disdain for cocoa melon. If you've heard of cocoa melon, I so love okay. cocoa melon. So so and, and and here's and here's why and this is backed up there was a reason if you want to read about this go to my website Mr. Clay SLP Mr. is spelled out and and there's a blog entry about this that has links to the original New York Times article but there was just this little cover story on Coco Melon and how they you know create their videos and Coco Melon basically what they do is they like bring a kid into a room you watch the video they have a distraction video and they they label the distraction video that's next to it as something mundane, like a parent pouring coffee or tying a shoe or something like that. If the child stops watching the Cocomelon video and starts watching the distraction video, they pause the Cocomelon video. They change something in it, whether it be the hair color of the person, the way the camera moves, 
They bring a new kid and they do that ad nauseum until the kids are not distracted by the distraction videos. They're literally addicted. They're literally creating that. Now, the reason that I think that that's important is two things. A, they're creating what we know that that screen time, especially in small kids, does bad things to serotonin levels and all that kind of stuff neurologically. We know we know that there is a possibility for that. Also, though, and to me, the bigger, more nefarious thing is that they're teaching kids that life things like pouring a cup of coffee or doing this or this or this, that those are bad, that those things are not fun and not. Now, granted, they might just be teaching that to the kids in the, in the trial, but I think that that is of concern. That being said, there are amazing YouTube channels. There are amazing places online that you can get good entertainment that's educational for your kids. There's also things that you can do to just educate yourself. And here, let me go down this list. So if you go to the, and I think this is a great website, if you go to healthychildren.org, which is the American Academy of Pediatrics, there's a family media plan, right? Uh, And you're allowed, it's free. You can go through, I think it's like 11 pages. You can click through it and you can pick your media priorities, practical tips to make the plan work, why it's important, how to finish your plan, how to share your plan. It's a good first step. Now, let's say you don't have time for that. What can you do? The first thing that you need to do is know what your kids are watching. And I think that that's obvious, but I think that we forget to do that sometimes. So, And that happens insidiously. Oh, yeah. It doesn't. YouTube is notorious, for example. Or, I mean, really any of the streaming platforms are notorious for just cycling through to the next thing, right? Or like, oh, here's a big colorful picture, yada, yada. On YouTube, for example, you can make yourself a playlist. You can turn guided access on, lock them into that playlist. You could try YouTube Kids, although YouTube Kids content, not everything. For example, I applied to YouTube Kid, Kids like two years ago. I'm still not on YouTube Kids. I don't know why. I don't know what the credentials are. It's a very hard thing to kind of crack into. But it is what it is, and that's okay. So you, you can make your own playlist. The other thing that I tell people to do is interact with your child while you're watching things. So for, and I'm going to use my own YouTube channel as an example because I can, I'm allowed to, but one of the things that you see that I do is I actively pause. I talk to the screen during those moments. My hope is that you are vocally responding or that you're responding on your communication device using symbols like the ones I present in the bottom left-hand corner or other ones. There's a really great channel called Cosmic Kids Yoga Getting on the ground, doing yoga with your kids. Or there's another one that's called Art uh, Art Kids Hub or Art Hub for Kids, one of the two. And it's a dad and his family, and he teaches you how to draw. And we, my daughter loves to sit down. We get out the markers. We get out everything, and we try to draw these pictures together. And so making it something active. The next thing is, and I, I, I tell people, like, treat it like it's a book. Pause it or don't pause it, but talk about what you think is going to happen. Talk about, like, make some predictions. Like, okay, we're going to watch this show. We're going to watch Bluey, and this episode is called The Magic Claw Machine. What do you think is going to happen? Do you think it's going to be, like, real magic or it's going to be this? Talk about these things afterwards. Like, if you're like, oh, remember that time that, that Mr. Clay said this or this or this or this? This is like that. Or you sing some of the songs outside of what it is we're doing, right? Those are all really good, efficient ways to use screen time to your benefit. Also, though, and I will encourage this too, especially with like kids who are a little bit older, don't do it so much that they don't like 
enjoy watching TV with you. <laughs> like, like tonight, because I, I mean, full disclosure, my plan tonight is to go home, make food for our kids and sit on the couch and watch Pinocchio. And I will probably be like checking my phone the whole time or like reading a book while they watch the, the new live action Pinocchio. But, you know, I, I some of that screen time needs to be stuff that is impactful and meaningful and that can help you create a bond and develop language. I think Bluey is a great show. If you haven't watched Bluey, Bluey is, it, it's such a good show for showing parents how to like, this is how you pretend play. Like these are, these are all important things. So anyway, that's my, that's my soapbox. Do you ever read Malcolm I, Gladwell? Uh, have, yeah, I, I, I would, I would like to say I read him, but I listen to his audiobooks. Okay. I, okay. I, I love him. I, um, my ADD is bad enough that I can't process audiobooks. Like I have to physically touch it. Otherwise it's literally in and one out the other, but he was talking about, uh, I think it was in the tipping point where they were talking about like the presentation of novice or novel material to children. And they were comparing contrasting Sesame street with blues clues. And what they were talking about was with Blue's Clues, when it was originally conceptualized, they showed the exact same episode four iterations in a row. With Sesame Street, it was a new episode every day. But when they did the test and post-test on how well the child learned whatever the specific concept was, it was Blue's Clues. It was that same study iteration that they that they absorbed the content material in. And and that to me was so true of everything. We, I think adults, the farther we are away from our childhood, the more we forget how long it takes us to simply right. learn something. Uh, there's, there is a reason that people listen to that Encanto song, that your kids were listening to it 15 times in a row. It's not some wild fluke. It's all very much based in like the neurology of human development, right? Like we, we as kids crave the repetition so that we can learn it. It's the, it's the same. I mean, it's the same reason why there are so many songs like the ABC, ABCD is, is this, it's Twinkle, all the same, Twinkle, right? So that we can, our brains can yes. latch onto something and learn. Or, and yes. But that's the same. No, with, you go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, but that's the same with exactly. AAC. You you can't you cannot just hand off a device to a family, especially when they're they have unspoken barriers that maybe they haven't verbalized, like fear of breaking it or fear of not knowing how to use it or fear of doing it wrong. I mean, I could list countless barriers, but it takes time. And it is that constant, steady, fun, and joyful exposure where it's no pressure. You're not forcing a child to communicate. I mean, multiple modality forms of communication. I'm going to accept all of the above spoken gestures. I mean, how direct, whatever. Like, yeah, multimodal for sure. I and yeah. And I, sorry, now I'm, I'm losing my train of thought. I'm like thinking about a million different things with regards to all this. I'm also big. Do you use any video modeling therapy in your clinic at all in your practice? So no, yes, yes, but no, I have them take videos of me 
doing it or and then or like I'll capture videos of like one caregiver doing it and I'm like look what a great job you did right here in this moment. And so then, I am a I, I yeah. also for the past couple of years have done uh, an OT colleague of mine and I have done a presentation for the OT students here at MUSC and I think that video modeling as a therapy technique for pediatrics is super underused. I use it for feeding all the time. And that's great. But I also, I think that if we start looking at screens and screen time as a way to like video model or learn or whatever, I think that there are huge benefits to all of that. Yesterday. Okay. In real time on Wednesday, I recorded Dr. Jean Marshall. She's a speech pathologist out of Australia. She's brilliant. She's lovely. She's a uh, PEDS PFD SLP and they're doing um, SIM modeling and SIM labs with, with video for um, like NICU and post NICU and early discharge so that they can, with emphasis on how to engage in caregiver counseling, caregiver coaching, and um, correct positioning and holding. And they're doing that with their students and before they send them out, like their new grads and their students. But that to me, the untapped potential and having that opportunity. And you know what? Thank you, COVID. This was all a direct growth from, I mean, if we, it was horrible and the world stopped, but I'm always going to choose joy because. I I don't know how to not, but like, that's one of the things that is beautiful and came out of it is that now we have embraced different ways of learning and some people learn better that way. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And and that's been a, it has been a fun thing to watch is the way that people learn and the way that people appreciate you trying to teach them in different ways. Don't get me wrong. There are some people who hate Mr. Clay and think that I'm horrible. I've, I've gotten those messages too. Thanks America. Um, uh, <laughs> I have oh to. So people hate when I'm like, really? Like, if you don't like it, I, don't listen to it. I, you don't I, I had to some individuals <laughs> tell me that I was harming children, and I'm like, well, let's like, I don't, I don't have a great singing voice, but like, I'm not harming anybody. It's, it's all, it's all very interesting, but that's okay. It comes, it, it comes with the territory of putting yourself out there. Yeah, when you put yourself out there. Have you heard the um Teddy Roosevelt quote, the no, man in the uh, arena? You need you need to google yeah. man in the arena. And that's what my husband gave me when I got a bad book review. He goes, "Baby, you put yourself out there and you did something different." Y'all, this is off the record here, but honest to goodness, real when you put yourself out there, you make yourself vulnerable. And It's super scary. scary. The 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 first time it hurt and I was like, oh, no. And, like, I really internalized it. And now I don't care. Um, oh, no, I, I still cry. I, I mean, it, it, <laughs> it, it gets me a little bit. But, you know, I I don't know. I feel like I'm trying and being sincere as I can be. So, But when are your job, when you're – when you're pouring evidence into the world and you're delivering messages that need to be delivered, I truly feel that um, your job is a seed planter. Not all of them will grow to fruition, 
And for some people, you are there for the duration. For some people, you just come along and sprinkle it and move on about your business. But okay, we have only five minutes left. So with the last five minutes, give us your parting wisdom for somebody who um, is just wanting to really um, deep dive into AAC. Maybe they didn't have like, what are your like, this was a total flop, don't do this kind of moment. So yeah, here's my parting words. And this is what I've, I want my grad students to get away is don't be afraid to try it. Okay. Be prepared to fail it. Be prepared to be bad at it, to be frustrated, to want to put it down, but don't be afraid to try it. I think, I think the hardest thing to do, especially for older SLPs um, and even some of this generation is to pick it up and immediately feel overwhelmed by the choices and the options and all this, all, all of that. Do not be afraid to try it. And I, I mean, I'm kind of like you. I'm a very glasses half full person. I like failing at things because if you do not fail at things, you cannot learn what you can do better, right? Like if you, if you were, and that's, that's why I also hesitate on calling myself an expert on anything because it puts you in this posture of, um, there's nothing else for you to learn. Um, and you know, we're, I've, I'm always ready to learn new things or at least hear the other perspective. But anyway, my point is just try, like pick up an AAC device, um, start playing around with it, try it. Um, be honest with your family. It's like, Hey, I didn't do this right, but let's try it this way next time. And, or I'm going to look here or I'm going to do this. Like it's, it's, you know, AAC is new. iPads have only, it's, is I think it's new. iPads have only been around for 10 years, essentially. That's insane. It feels like we've had them forever. And so for anybody to say, oh, I've got it figured out, means that they don't, but they want you to think they do. That's, honestly, I think the hardest part for me, the hardest part for me to start with is the goal writing. That's because I feel like I get, I go out and I do my eval and I'm like, I want to go here. I want to go here with this kid. But then like I have to sit down and write the goals for insurance. And I always panic in that moment that I'm not going to write a sufficient goal to capture what this tiny human is doing. And I can see the success, but then that's still going to me. And like that will, that mental block will carry over to my first couple of therapy sessions. And if I'm being honest, that can inhibit my ability, as you said at the beginning, to bond with the child. And that's so crazy that it's, I get worried about a goal, but like, I hate goal writing. I don't think that that's crazy. I think that that's very, very super duper normal. Um, goal, goal writing is, it's, you know, I've never had to write an IEP. Uh, I have so much sympathy for all my IEP writers out there and stuff, but Goals are good. You need goals. I worry sometimes that we limit ourselves um, by by having such adherence to them. Um, I mean, that's not 100% true. Don't not write goals. But anyway, that's a that's another conversation. <laughs> that's a I could I could talk about my opinions on a bunch of different things for a very long time. Okay, so then right. what we're going to do is come back sure. after the first of the year and have a Mr. Clay soapbox yeah, yeah, yeah. part yeah, yeah, yeah. two. How about that? that works. Yes, perfect. Okay, well then, um, Lay, um, 
give us um, one if somebody wants to find you. How okay. Do you find you? Um, so let me see on YouTube. It's youtube.com slash Mr. Clay. And it's M I S T E R. Um, I have a, a, that honestly, that's one of the best things that you can do is watch those videos or, um, or just subscribe to that channel. Like that's a huge help. Um, the other thing that you can do is promote it on Facebook or Instagram. If you're on there, my Instagram handle, if you want to follow me or any of that kind of stuff is, uh, is, Mr. Clay SLP, but with dashes. So M I S T E R underscore Clay underscore SLP. Um, my Twitter handle is PC Haddon. And then my YouTube, my uh, website, let me make sure I know what my website is. <laughs> uh, I'm pulling uh, it's, uh, it's Mr. Clay SLP. Yeah, Mr. Clay SLP.com. Believe it or not, there's a company like out of japan or china that already had mr clay which is i think they do pottery but anyway um so uh so yeah and if you go to my website mrclayslp.com i've got blogs i've got free worksheets i try to do uh activities that go with all of the videos that we have um it takes a long time to make them um but i'm trying and i don't think that you need to do a ton of paper activities but some people like that and so there are some options there um, I've got links to my YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram page. Um, and, and then the biggest thing is just like encourage people who are the biggest way that you can help me is to encourage people to like look at my stuff and help them understand that I'm not doing, I, I sincerely don't want to be the next blip, blippy. Like that is not my goal. My goal is to make content and to team with people who want to make content that can change the way that we have to interact with insurance companies. Yes. That's the I goal. This is lovely. Yeah. Thank you. Of course. Thank you so much. You're doing great. I mean, you're doing great things and our tiny humans appreciate it. Thank you. Caregivers. Oh, so, and I have an, uh, um, I have an album I'm, coming out in September, so you can download that or stream it on Spotify, but this will be in December. So, um, and listen, Guys, if you're a grown person, I don't expect for you to listen to my album in its entirety. That would be a weird thing to do. But you could download it. I think we put it, we set it at the cheapest price that you could set it at. Um, so it's like, I think it's like $3.99 or $5.99, but that would be uh, amazing too. Um, to, you know, anyway, that'd be, that would be. Uh, but it helps. Because we're all SLPs, so we know how little we actually make. And it's, again, it's not that I, I want to make more. I just want to be able to, like, I don't know. Mr. Beast makes, like, he, he makes millions of dollars a year. And he, I think they just, I, I heard somewhere that Mr. Beast, do you know who Mr. Beast is? No, but I he's feel a, like he's, he's a, a YouTuber who has b- basically become a philanthropist because of the amount of money that he, he, he makes. And he, he's done more... Um, He's done like millions of meals for people who are, are starving in America. Like he does so much philanthropy. Um, and I don't, I would rather be the Mr. Beast of like pediatric therapy than I would be the blippy. So if that gives you a perspective of what I want to do. Yes. So No, that's, we, um, we partnered with 
PlaySpark. Yeah. When you mentioned yeah. PlaySpark, we partnered with them back this summer for, I gave a quote from my book. I made no money on the shirts and all the profit margins went directly to Feeding yep. Matters for their scholarship for like, for that yeah. purpose alone, because, because that's what we're supposed to do. Pay it Pay forward. It forward. For the um, so yeah. So anyway, that's me. Feeding Matters guides system-wide changes by uniting caregivers, professionals, and community partners under the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Alliance. So what is this alliance? The alliance is an open access collaborative community focused on achieving strategic goals within three focus areas, education, advocacy, and research. So who is the alliance? It's you. The Alliance is open to any person passionate about improving care for children with a pediatric feeding disorder. To date, 187 professionals, caregivers, and partners have joined the Alliance. You can join today by visiting the Feeding Matters website at www.feedingmatters.org. Click on PFD Alliance tab and sign up today. Change is possible when we work together. That's a wrap, folks. Once again, thank you for listening to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional. I'm your humble but yet sassy host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Please check out the website if you'd like to learn more about CEU opportunities for this episode, as well as the ones that are archived. And as always, remember, feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind, and feed those babies. Hey, so it's Michelle Dawson here, and I need to lay out my disclosure statements. So uh, if you ever wondered how bad my ADD, ADHD, and lack of sleep Monday through Monday actually as well. Here you go. These are my non-financial disclosure statements. I volunteer with Feeding Matters. I'm a former treasurer with the Council of State Association Presidents. I'm a past president with the South Carolina Speech Language Hearing Association. I am a current member of both ASHA and SCISHA. And for this year, for 2021, I volunteered for the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Planning Committee for the ASHA 2021 convention. My financial disclosures. All right. So I receive compensation for first bite presentations, as well as talking teletherapy and understanding dysphagia from speechtherapypd.com. I also receive royalties from speechtherapypd.com for ongoing webinars that I have on their website, as well as compensation from PESI Incorporate for a lecture course that a webinar that I have on their website as well. I am coordinator for clinical education and clinical assistant professor for the Masters of Speech Language Pathology program at Francis Marion University in Florence, South Carolina, for which I receive an annual salary. I also receive royalties from the sale of my book, Chasing the Swallow, Truth, Science, and Hope for Pediatric Feeding and Swallowing Disorders that I self-published and is available on Amazon. And I do receive royalties from the accompanying 13 and a half hour CEU for the book from speechtherapypd.com. 
So yeah, I stay pretty busy, but those are my financial and non-financial disclosures. If you ever have any questions, please feel free to reach out. All right. Thanks y'all. Bye.